Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, college football fans across the nation and around the world. This is Tim May with the Tim May podcast. And of course, you know, this is a sort of a Ohio State centric podcast for all kinds of reasons. Number one, I'm affiliated with lettermanrow.com. Number two, I've covered Ohio State football continuously since 1984. Uh, and uh, Ohio State's one of the elite programs in the country, so why not center something on that? Yeah, one of the elite programs in the country. I still say that, despite what happened on Saturday in Ohio Stadium. Michigan 45, Ohio State 23. Michigan outscoring Ohio State 28-3 to in the second half. A second half that looked very much like the second half, I'm talking about results-wise, from a year earlier at Michigan when Michigan beat Ohio State for the first time since 2011. Now Michigan has won two in a row in the series for the first time, first time since 2000. Uh, yeah, a new day has dawned. I say a new day has dawned, but uh, uh, Andy Backstrom and Spencer Holbrook and I were recording a podcast in Ohio Stadium on Monday morning this week, and we realized the sun really hadn't, hasn't shown its head since uh, – since since it's set on on Saturday, at least in these parts. So we'll see what's coming around the corner. And that sun, that rising sun, yeah, Ohio State fans are down at dumps. They should be. They should be. Their team, their team that was favored by more than a touchdown, uh, their team that went 11-0, that was seeking revenge in the game after getting basically embarrassed a year earlier, getting shoved around, being called not tough enough, 
not physical enough, just got beat again in almost not exactly the same a formula, but the results were the same. So what's the difference, right? One team kind of changed its plan and uh, made made huge plays, ridiculous plays. Uh, some people call them explosives. I called them in a story I wrote for LettermanRoad.com, incendiaries, because five of those uh, plays, big plays, uh, went for touchdowns. And, of course, then there was a sixth uh, touchdown, uh, a keeper by J.J. McCarthy, a power sweep by their quarterback. Yeah, other teams run that kind of stuff. But, you know, you got to have – Got to have the right guy in place to run that kind of stuff. J.J. McCarthy, I thought, uh, took over that game, uh, willed his team to victory with some uh, really good plays at exactly the right time. C.J. Stroud threw for over 300 yards, more than 300 yards, uh, two touchdowns. But when I State had to have offense in the second half on a consistent basis, it could not generate it. Kicked one field goal after leading at halftime 20-17. to 17, Kicked one field goal. And that was that. The game, uh, two in a row by Michigan. Has the worm turned in the Big Ten again? Only next year will tell that tale. That's a long time from now. But let's talk about something real quick. Despite the doom and the gloom, uh, Ohio State is still viable in the college football playoff a consideration if TCU or USC loses this weekend in their conference championship games. Probably much more so if USC gets beat by Utah for a second time this year. So, you know, don't hang your head, don't hang your head totally down yet. <laughs> and I guess what I'm leaning to there is we're not going to know the playoff pairings until a week from now. But let's say Michigan stays number two. Heck, Michigan, you can make a legitimate case then Michigan should be the number one ranked team in the college football playoff committee rankings this week. Uh, I'm recording this obviously before that, those rankings come out on Tuesday night, but uh, they just beat the number, number two team in the country resoundingly at that team's place. Uh, so is Michigan going to supplant Georgia as the number one team in the college football playoff committee rankings with one, with one week left week of the, uh, of the conference championship games. We're going to find out. But it would be interesting to see a scenario where uh, Georgia plays Ohio State in an opening game, probably at the Peach Bowl in the college football playoff semifinals. Michigan plays TCU in the semifinals in in, uh, in Phoenix, in Glendale, Arizona. And then Ohio State maybe gets another shot at Michigan. Or maybe vice versa, you know, if you're a Michigan fan, Michigan gets another shot at Ohio State. But uh, I'm not sure – whether Ohio State fans want that or not, you know, there's a lot of things I'm sure Ryan Day, a lot of things Ryan Day would change about the way things went down on Saturday. <laughs> but when a team hits that many incendiary plays, uh, it kind of takes the starch out of you. And uh, it, that's definitely what happened to Ohio State. That's not an excuse. That's just looking at the game from a, you know, from the perch of the press box or looking at the replays. Uh, bottom line is Ohio State got outplayed and outcoached in the second half without a doubt. No doubt about it. And uh, Michigan, you know, I don't get into this stuff that Michigan wanted it more. I, You know, I, I, I just think when you look back on a game, when it goes a certain way, you go, yeah, that's what happened. But uh, they made the plays, man. And the Michigan game, the Ohio State-Michigan game is all about guys stepping up and making plays. 
And Ohio State did not have enough guys do that offensively or defensively, paid the price. And by now you've all seen that replay of that, uh, what looked like a called fake punt run to the left when it was fourth and 10 near midfield for Ohio State after they had sort of cut down the odds from that first and 35 after their ridiculous chain of events. And <laughs> my two guests today, Marlon Kerner, I have two guests today, former Ohio State cornerback and NFL cornerback uh, Marlon Kerner and former Ohio State and NFL linebacker Matt Wilhelm, two of my favorites and two of my regulars on here. We break down a lot of things, and uh, I have Marlon on first and then uh, Matt Wilhelm, but we get into the idea that, uh, especially with Matt, that, well, yeah, that showed that maybe um, Brian Day wasn't as timid as we thought he was in the second half. They were going to go for it, but it looks like the deep snapper who'd had an illegal snap attempt the play before, which caused a five-yard penalty, if I remember the sequence correctly, uh, was the only one not in on it. and uh, Or maybe he thought it was called off because of the way that previous play had gone down. But uh, it actually, as you look at it on, on, on video, and it was pointed out by Ross Fulton, the guy that is a great breakdown of, of Ohio State football plays. It looked like it would have gone for a lot of yards if the ball, if the snap had gone to Mitch Rossi, as it looked like it was planned. It did not. Uh, it's a footnote in history at this point. Uh, and that doesn't mean the Ohio State defense would have turned around and start stopping Michigan on a consistent basis because that didn't happen. But uh, we get into all that, the Jim Knowles defense that was supposed to change things, uh, the uh, play calling or whatever you want to call it by Ryan Day, and just the, the way Ohio State uh, repeated history in a, in a negative sense, uh, we, I get into all that with my two guests. But uh, keep in mind, though, this uh, this season uh, may not be over in the in grand scheme of things of, yes, the first check mark on Ohio State's uh, to-do list is gone, beat Michigan. The second check mark is not going to happen, win the Big Ten championship, but they could still be in play uh, a week from now when you tune into the next MA podcast, they could still be in play for the third and maybe the grandest of them all, a chance to play for the for the national championship. We'll see how things go down this weekend. You got to admit, Caleb Williams is on a roll. He and USC are. Uh, Caleb Williams is now the uh, front runner for the Heisman Trophy. It looks like uh, C.J. Stroud's candidacy, a viable candidacy, has come to an end because even though he threw for over 300 yards and two touchdowns, could not get his team going in that second half uh, for whatever reasons, whether it be play calling, uh, Michigan's defense, uh, basically a combination of those two, obviously. But uh, that's that's kind of sad to see. With that said, uh, let's get into my uh, let's get into it with my two guests. First of all, Marlon Kernauer, and we talk about you know what broke down there. What broke down there on those plays were clearly. Uh, Obviously, Jim Knowles uh, went after it to stop Michigan's running game. And that was even though uh, Blake Corum started uh, started and played just two plays. Uh, Ohio State kind of stayed stayed in that mode of put its uh, defensive backs on an island, its safeties, and its cornerbacks, but not necessarily all of them at the same time, as you'll see. You know, a team is playing with three safeties, and so many times there was no safety deep because of 
shenanigans that they were uh, shenanigans that were afoot. It's kind of hard to believe you'd have three safeties and not not one deep, but that's you know, uh, I don't know. That's that's a discussion for maybe another day. But just how individual players made plays for Michigan got wide open, and you got to remember, uh, five of their touchdowns came on explosive incendiary plays that accounted for more than 350 yards of their total offense. Yeah, they took it to the house every chance they got. And that was the difference in the game. That was clearly the difference in the game. So I'll get in, into it with Marlon Kerner first about how those players could have played things a little differently. The guys who got snookered uh, on those big pass plays that uh, that J.J. McCarthy hit for those big touchdowns, those three of them. And then uh, obviously then uh, Donovan Edwards goes 75 and then 85 yards with runs off the right side. Yeah, uh, for touchdowns to put the uh, dagger in the heart of it all, to put the nail in the coffin, whatever cliche is you think is most appropriate for that situation. There was no doubt about it, though. They put Ohio State in the ground with, with, with their performance in the second half. So let's get right to it with my conversation. First, with Marlon Kerner, followed by Matt Wilhelm, one of my favorites. Marlon Kerner, I had to reach out to you, man. You reached out to me several times as the onslaught was on on Saturday in Ohio Stadium. Uh, final result, uh, Ohio State gets beat for the second straight year by Michigan. Not just beat, but sort of gets drubbed. I mean, that's a drubbing in this series, a 21-point win. Uh, well, a 21-point win, 22-point win. That's a drubbing. Uh, that's one of the number, number one. I'm reaching out to a couple of you, you know, former guys, who former Buckeyes who are on my show a lot, you and Matt Willem, but I'm going with you first here. Uh, just does that hit you in the heart? Does it hit you in the gut? What does it do? I mean, you know, and and I, I throw this out there. Ohio State's lost two in a row now to Michigan. You, I think, went one and three as a player against Michigan, if I remember the record correctly, right? Hey, we were one, two, and one. Yeah, excuse me, one, two, and one. That's right. That tie was 92 was one of the greatest wins 13, ever. 13, 13 tie. Yeah, yeah, that tie was one of the great. Yeah, and that was a hell of a defensive uh, game that game. Uh, yes, but the point is, does, when you're watching a game like this now, uh, you're never disassociated with Ohio State once you played there as a player. Did it hit you in the gut? How do you, how do you explain to people what you feel after watching that Saturday? You know, it, there's this hollow feeling that I have because you could tell how much they wanted to win, uh, but the execution didn't match the talk and the rhetoric that was, we're going to go back, we, we need to take care of business, we've had a whole year to stew on this. Um, and the way it happened, um, phys the physicality that Michigan put on them in the second half, uh, the big play that they gave up. I mean, and it wasn't like you gave up a 25-yard run. Like, you're giving up 75-yard runs, 85-yard runs. Like, that's not a trademark of any Ohio State team. Uh, and so it was more like this hollow, empty shock of what did I just witness? Like, the team that really looked like they might have figured out how to play Michigan in one half completely flipped it in the second half and looked like they had no answer of anything that they were doing on the field. Michigan could not throw the ball down the field in 11 games. Longest pass, I think, by uh, completed by J.J. Uh, McCarthy was something like 42 yards in 11 games, the longest play. Ohio State probably had four of those in one game at you know certain points this year. Number two, Michigan had Blake Corum, 
really, you know, everybody remembers what happened in, in the second half, especially at Michigan last year when Michigan ran the ball down Ohio State's throat. If you're a first-time defensive coordinator, Jim Knowles, why don't you sell out? Well, number one, Blake Corum was 100%. Only, I think only had two carries on Saturday. Donovan Edwards came in. He was a little bit questionable going in. Obviously, whatever question there was was answered in the second half especially. J.J. Yeah. McCarthy, though, a lot was put on his shoulders in this game. And Jim Knowles tried to add to the workload by blitzing every chance he got, it looked like, leaving guys on islands. Uh, and some guys, you know, it's almost like they missed the call to the island on occasion. But two huge pass plays uh, in the first half kept Michigan in the game. And then a huge pass play uh, basically boosted them to the lead to stay for good. And it was kind of like the flip, the script got flipped, and then it got flipped back again in that second half, like you said, when Michigan took turned to more ball control. But as you're watching that game, are you are you saying to yourself, I'm not seeing from Michigan what I expected to see? And uh and and were you at times saying, Well, yeah, I'm kind of seeing from Ohio State what I expect to see, because they've got to be zeroed in on stopping the run, right? I mean, right. So it was a little bit of a conundrum going on throughout that first half, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, for me, I was looking like, okay, Ohio State has to control the line of scrimmage. Like the physicality that Michigan played with last year, they owned both sides of the line of scrimmage. So I knew Ohio State was going to make a concerted effort to say, you're not going to run the ball on us. We don't care who you have. If Quorum suits up, you have to expect that he's healthy enough to go. And we know what he did last year. So yeah. you had to sell out. Like you got, you were able to get pressure. You were able to do a lot of things. But what I noticed on the back end was, is they did a lot of things that they don't really normally do. Um, and that they, they didn't do during the course of the season, which was leave their corners on an island and say, you play zero coverage, inside technique, this is your man, you cover them. It yeah. was like they took a page from what Illinois was able to do the week before and say, are their corners shut down their receivers? Our, our corners are just as good as athletes, and they should be able to hold up and shut down their receivers. And surprisingly, it didn't happen. Uh, and so we could talk about why it happened, why it didn't happen. It looked like they were really out of position. I, I think on the first play, um, there's some things where he, you just miss the tackle. Like you just make the tackle, like the, com the completion's there, yeah. you know, as a corner is like, we're not on, you're not trying to give up a highlight, just go make the tackle. They got the first down. They won that down. You're playing inside out. So you have to understand that the out is going to be the one route that you're going to give up. So your job is just to go make the tackle. If you're playing inside technique, I don't need to try to come inside to get a pick because I'm not going to get the pick unless the quarterback throws a very bad throw, which he's not. J.J. McCarthy's not going to do that. He threw the ball where it needed to be. He makes a catch. Corner comes up and puts really a hand on him. Like that's yeah. simple. Hey, in and out, I'm coming inside. I'm going to close to your hip. I'm going to use the sideline where you are as my point of reference. We're like, look, if you go to the sideline right now, great. No problem. The second one was, which is surprising to me, is we kept trying to get cute. Uh, and sometimes this is where coaching really gets your players in bad positions because we kept trying to show cover two shells, show this, show that, um, show man to man, show blitz. And you ended up trying to get into a cover two look by having the safety down in a linebacker position. But now he's got to run back 15 yards to get in position and there's no jam. There's no jam to impede the receiver's progress. So now you've got the safety in an impossible position and you have to say, which route am I going to give up? Now, if I'm the safety, 
I'm giving up the seven cut. I'm going to, if I get inside, I'm going to hold my inside position and I'm just going to stay there. Seven cut, they got us. We're going to go make the tackle. That's it. He yeah. tried to play both routes, stem to the outside. I'm going to spin this way to go get the route. And then he breaks back inside and there's nobody inside. <laughs> That's an easy throw. So you have to understand your defense and your scheme. And I saw a lot of that in the back end where they just didn't understand the scheme of what, how, how Michigan was going to attack them, where you needed to be, and if they if they execute and they make a big play, so be it. I'd rather give up a 30 or 45 yard play than a 75 yard touchdown pass. Uh, and that really was the big difference in the game. Um, and what kept Michigan in the in the game in the first half was those big plays. Yeah, absolutely. And uh a team with usually three safeties on the field <laughs> had no safety. You know what I mean? I mean, by right. that I mean back time, uh backside safety, uh deep down the field, because they were playing games up front. I understand the propensity to want to get after a quarterback, get after an offensive line, uh, mess with their head. That's what Jim Knowles wants to do with his defense. Uh, it did not work. It did not. Because one, as I call them, you know, some people call those explosive plays. I call them incendiaries because they go to the they go to the end zone and they burn. You know, yes. I mean, they destroy. And because uh, now. It, you know, every touchdown is so precious in the game, in the Ohio State-Michigan game, every touchdown. Just ask Ohio State, which settled for a few field goals. Right. And uh, uh, then the second half, uh, you know, they pretty much went right down the field, uh, hit that big – hit another big pass play, and uh, it was 24-20, and Ohio State was behind for good. Uh, just – I don't know. As the game went on, and you're studying it from a player, player who's played defense at both uh, – uh, both at Ohio State and in, in, in the NFL, what did you see adjustments? What did, what adjustments did you see from your vantage point of watching it on the uh, television? So Michigan did a really good adjustment. Um, in the first half, they tried to play a little stock block game with their receivers. Um, so we were playing a lot of man to man. They would just kind of come off and like, hey, I'm gonna block you here, which it creates an ability for the corner to shed that block and then get into the the fray so to speak if the if the running back was able to block and get out get outside of that blocking scheme yeah so the first half I'll say got some really good penetration they did a really good job of being gap sound like I'm in my gap I'm staying here tackles ate up both um double team blocks so that they never were able to get onto the second level so linebackers were able to flow freely second half Michigan ran off the receivers and said okay you want to play man to man inside technique we're just gonna run you off so now if I can get you on a reach block um, from the defensive end because now I don't have the corner that can come in and set the edge and make him turn it back to the, the silver bullets coming at you. So that was the first adjustment that I saw. Second was they were able to really seal the lane. Like they were able to get those ends kind of the defensive ends. Like, all right, if we're going to go man to man, you have to keep everything inside of you. You yeah. can't get reach block. You can't get, you can't give it up. You can't sit here and then come underneath and think you're going to make the play. Cause if you do that, they're going to be able to get to the corner and then if you do one of those things where you go inside and then duck back out, now you created a lane inside. And Michigan were able to really just kind of – they kind of got their dominance going back the way they were able to play like last year. They were able to come off, double team, get movement off on our defensive line, and then get to the second level. And now that you have color, 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 okay, running back can pick any hole. Um, and because there was no linebacker to fill and then no safety that can come in to make the play and your corners – 15, 20 yards down the field, run a receiver. By the time you turn back and look and see, you've already got a blocker on him. And I'm like, ooh, um, really good adjustment. We never really figured out how to do that. It was kind of like watching 
how we talked the last couple of years about the defense were like, it just seemed like they didn't understand the scheme of how missing was going to attack them and then where you needed to fit and where you needed to be. Yeah. And I kept thinking like, this is like deja vu, like for a defense that really looked totally different, that was revamped, that had great schemes that were able really to shut teams down at what they wanted to do. It was almost like they reverted back to who they were from two years ago yeah. and just could not figure out like, I need to be here. If he goes here, I need to get here. If I can get pressure here and get off this block here, that one person would make the play. And they were never able to do that. And because of that, you had hat on hat, 75-yard run. And then you come back, hat on hat, 85-yard run. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, And, I mean, he's coming up untouched, just gone. I'm like, wow. Like, these are things that I never really noticed from an Ohio State defense that I, well, I hadn't saw happen to them all season long. Yeah. Um, so hats off and kudos to Michigan on how they adjusted. And we never did figure out how to adjust to what they wanted to do against us in the second half. Yeah. You know, Ohio State fans and players and everybody else had a hard time giving credit to Jim Harbaugh and his coaching staff. They did a hell of a job. They sure did. They didn't have their number one running back, maybe the best running back in the country in some people's estimation, and Blake Corum available more than two plays uh donovan edwards is pretty damn good as harbaugh said after the game if he ever breaks if he ever breaks the line of scrimmage he's almost always gone because he's so fast he proved yeah. that even though he was coming off injury they kept him out a week a week earlier and uh and like you said really the coup d'etat was that last touchdown run by by edwards when he that looked exactly like a play they ran last year when Ohio State kept running into the line, uh, linebackers running into the jam and got caught out and there was nobody left to make the tackle. And it was that was kind of embarrassing, uh, I would think, uh, for Ohio State defense to watch that. Of course, they're selling out, trying to get any kind of stop they can late in the game, the last-ditch hopes, and uh, didn't work out. So let me ask you this. Uh, where – do they go from here? I'm talking about Ohio State's defense. Jim Knowles, where do they go from here? That's a good question. I mean, I, I think, one, you kind of have to go back and, and you're going to have to put the tape on and watch it and say, okay, how did Michigan beat us? What did they do? Right? Because you had some really good success in the first half against them stopping the run. It kind of reminded me of when I was playing – I think you need to go back and break it down, almost kind of like do a football for dummies. Because um, what I really realized, from it reminded me when I played, right? Uh, I always thought about what was the difference between the college level and the NFL level. And it was a cum communication style between coaches and how they actually helped you really understand where you had to get body position-wise, where that ball should go. There seemed like there was a really big breakdown on the back end, especially corners and safeties, communication while on communication wise on, OK, they're going to run a post. The ball is going to be thrown here. We kept constantly running into the receivers, giving up big plays yeah. so when they didn't catch it. Pass interference, keeping drives alive. Um, so position wise, we kept putting ourselves in really bad positions. Um, and then when you play man to man, you play inside technique. How do I play that? Uh, so it seemed like there was a expectation on how the coaches thought they should play it but there was a disconnect on how the players were actually perceiving what the coaches were saying and how they should play it and so you look like and I remember I remember this to a day to a t because I remember you wrote an article about this too and you wrote an article we were playing Wisconsin or Michigan State actually and we kept saying they kept saying keep the ball in front and break and tackle 
And so I was like, okay, that means keep the ball in front, break and tackle, correct? Yes. So I would just keep the cushion. We played at seven yards, not 10 yards, not 11 yards, like yeah. the secondary does now. So I just made sure I kept my seven-yard cushion, five-yard cushion. They throw a hitch, I break up and tackle. But they march the ball down the field. That's five, six yards every time. Yeah. And so I remember reading an article that you wrote because they were like, well, we wanted, we were saying keep the ball in tackle. We wanted you to compete and break them up. But you didn't say that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not what you said. You said keep the ball in front, break and tackle. So there's a disconnect on what I'm hearing and what you're saying and how you expect me to play. And I saw that a lot on Saturday where they were like, play it here, get to the hip. But I'm looking in the backfield to get to the hip, which means I'm giving I'm not really following where my guy's going to be, which puts me in the bad position. So they need to go back communication style and break down like I want you to play it like this. This is how I want you to do it. Body position wise, you need to be here and do some things like that. And so if they can clean clean those things up, I think they'll be in good position going forward. Uh, and then you just got to get over the mental hurdle now. Now there's like a mental block because you've played this team and they've scored over 40 points two games in a row, one at their place, one at your place. And now you're going back to their place next year. And you're thinking, oh my gosh, is this kind of like how it was in the nineties? Like we don't want to three-peat, you know, everything going into it. You know what the story is going to be. Storylines are going to say Ryan Day's on a hot seat if he doesn't win this game. Mm -hmm. um, and that may be true. That may not be true. Well, we'll, we'll let that play out on its own. Uh, Jim Knowles could be on a hot seat um, going into that game if they give up and play like that again next year. So you never know. So they're going to have a lot of things. Uh, and then the last thing I saw with this thing, and I'll end it with this, is they tried way too hard. Like they played so tight. They looked like a team desperate to try to play and make a play. And you know when you play desperation, but you're not playing sound. Um, there's like there's a way to have like that. I'm playing. I'm selling out. I'm playing with a lot of emotion. I'm playing with this this desperate way of like I got to win this game. But they played desperate and they didn't really execute well enough. Um, and so you've got to get over that mental block of I'm, I've got to play this way, but I'm going to be sound in, in my approach and in my technique. Um, and they need to fix that um, because they definitely did not play sound at times, especially on the back end yeah. and then in the run game in the second half. Yeah, it's kind of like watching the Alamo, but with a different result because, you know, you're assaulting. You're, they were assaulting. Michigan's front. I mean, they were assaulting Michigan's offense, daring them to throw the ball, really get it off before we get there, so to speak. Right. And boom, a guy escapes, you know, after, I mean, should have been a tackle for a 10 yard gain, gain, live another day. But one missed tackle ruins everything. One missed coverage, one, 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 one missed, like you said, seeing the wiggle here, I think it was Cam Martinez. And then the guy wiggling back this way on a post cut wide open, the same player, by the way. Yeah. Uh, changes everything. I mean, and then right on down the line, you know where I'm going with that. When you give them, when you give them an escape valve and then they find it with no safety over the top, uh, it can be a long day. And that's exactly how they got snookered, man. I mean, uh, because to do that offensively, you've got to ha have some audacity too. You have to go almost into that game thinking, you know what? We're not going to win this game running the ball, at least not to begin with. We've got to take some chances. So that's audacity because those chances could have gone the other way. J.J. McCarthy made some really bad throws the week before against Illinois, which tried a lot of the similar tactics, but they were able to hack their way down the field for that winning field goal. Uh, right. So here's what I'm getting to, bottom line. And I'm going to ask my your, your friend and mine, Matt Wilhelm, the same question here in a minute when I have him on. Uh, 
are you happy with where the Ohio State defense went this year direction-wise under new defensive coordinator Jim Knowles, who came in from Oklahoma State with his 4-2-5. Now, they didn't stay in a 4-2-5 all day yesterday. They had three linebackers on the field. It seemed like a lot. Uh, they rolled up, uh, all kinds of things. Are you happy with what you saw from this defense? Uh, well, you're not happy with what you saw Saturday, obviously. But did you like the way this defense was trending until Saturday? And is there such a thing as can you have two different defenses, one for 11 games and one for the game? That was like six questions at once, but I'm known gotcha. for I will say I like the improvements um, coming into the season from where they were a year ago. Um, statistically, they were better uh, in every category, um, excluding yesterday's game. I think what has to happen is, is if you're going to have a specific defense for the game, then you better be able to execute that um, and execute that at a very high level. Uh, and so one of the things that I saw is that defense was different than what we ran yesterday during every day of every game of the of the season. So now you come in with something different. And if the guys aren't comfortable and playing that style and playing that way, yeah. this is the result that happens. So you wait a minute, wait a minute. explain to people again what you saw that was totally was it different that we're gonna we're gonna we're going to pressure on almost every play. What was different? What what they did you see a lot that of was pressure. different? Yeah. They they didn't always bring um, the amount of pressure that they brought all the time. They didn't always go and play man to man, like especially man to man zero blitz coverage yeah. where I'm playing inside technique. They brought some blitzes, they brought some pressures, but they may play man to man on some of the downs. They may play a zone behind it. They might play cover three behind it um, to get pressure. So you're allowing people to read the quarterback, play the passing lanes. You take away the big plays when you go zero blitz. Um, it has. The propensity to give a big play because all you all one person has to do is get beat in their coverage yeah and and the weakness of zero blitz is is if i beat you inside there's nobody to stop me and there's nobody behind you and so what all you need is one man so if i throw it short and i beat you to the outside and all the other guys are run off and now we're having a foot race and you don't you don't want you don't want those mismatches where you have foot races going up and Ohio State was pretty good all season long about not really putting their corners and their underneath safeties and 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 hybrid linebackers in positions of playing inside technique and then breaking to make tackles or inside technique and trying to cover the entire football field and we decided to get in this game and and when you do that what you're saying is is okay if I'm a blitz I'm going to play zero coverage my rush is going to get there so I'm telling you the ball's got to come out fast. He's not going to have time to throw a double move. So now it's predicated on the rush getting there. And J.J. McCarthy did some really good job of on a couple plays of just fading back, running back, drifting back, and then throwing the ball yeah. because his receiver won the battle. Uh, and because he's able to do that, now you made him look like Patrick Mahomes instead of J.J. McCarthy the week before. And yeah. now he's throwing a 69-yard bomb for a touchdown. Then he throws – a 75 yard bomb for a touchdown you're like what the heck who was this guy and now you make him look like oh my gosh this guy this is who Michigan thought they were getting uh all because of scheme wise the pressure didn't get there and the back end didn't understand like hey listen there are certain routes I'm giving up I'm giving up the hitch I'm going to break up and tackle I'm giving up the out I'm going to break up and tackle the seven cut you can have that the post I'm taken away by my natural body position. I'm going to stay in the middle and take the post away. So if you throw the post, you're going to throw it to me. I'm going to get an interception that's knocked down. Yeah. Uh, the moment you try to cover the entire field, you lose as a defender. And as we saw, Martinez, when he did that, he he spun out to take the seven cut. 
spun back in and you gave up the entire field. There's nobody there. You yeah. have to be disciplined enough to know, like, I can't give this up. Uh, and I've been in there before because I've been in those situations where we played and you're like, hey, we play zone, we play zone, we play zone. Hey, we're playing man-to-man the whole game. Okay, well, we didn't practice that all week. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, that there's some technique-wise, you got to be like, I need to do things differently. I need to change my mindset. And again, it goes back to how well you can communicate what the game plan is, how we want to do it, what we're willing to live with if they do that. Hey, coach, if they do this, hey, man, make the tackle. That's it. Just make the tackle. Uh, and they got themselves out of position a lot that game. So you need to fix that. If you're going to have a this specific defense for the game, you've got to find a way to get them to play a little bit at times during the season to have some comfort, comfortability in it. Yeah. And in preparation, they may have stressed that point, you know, a lot. But in the heat of the game with a guy coming right at you and he's wiggling here and then, you know, players make 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 mistakes. Players make uh, bad calls. And uh, then you just hope, boy, I hope J.J. McCarthy misses him like he did a lot of guys this year. That didn't yeah, happen. He, missed. he never, he didn't miss. He made throws. Yeah. I'm like, wow, like this yeah. is a totally different quarterback. And I was, I, I wasn't shocked that he was making some throws. Cause like, this is the game. Uh, and he's going to, he's going to have to make some throws. So I was, I was, I was thinking Harbaugh and the coaching staff will talk to him. Like, listen, you don't have to be perfect. Just don't throw any bad throws that will give them pick sixes. Uh, and, and then Ohio state needed to score touchdowns. Like we couldn't, you can't go in and have 20 points. Like you needed to have 28 at yeah. the halftime. If you score four touchdowns, it's a different ball game. And you may, you may have a, it's a different outcome because now they have to do some things in the second half, but because we set up for field goals. Okay. You kept them in, you kept them in it. Like that's Michigan won by Ohio state driving down, scoring a touchdown. Then they kicked the field goal. Like, and then you had, I mean, just silly plays where you're like, all right, you got a false start and then you get a headbutt. And so instead of being in first and 10 at the their 40, now it's first and 35. At their 27. Like, yeah. Like, okay, time. like that makes no sense. Like so things like that where you're like, you can't make those mistakes because all the pressure's on you. The pressure's not on them. Nobody expected them to win. They were underdogs to begin with. They just needed to come in and keep it close and then make halftime adjustments, but they did a very good job. And we didn't do a good job of making halftime adjustments. And they were able to grind it out and win um, in epic fashion. Uh, let's just talk briefly. We got like two minutes here. I'm going to put it on the clock. We'll probably go 17. Two minutes. Because uh, you know that's how NFL is the last two minutes, last 17 minutes. But uh, two minutes starting now. What did you see about the high state offense as the game went on that you did not like? What adjustment did you see Michigan make? They just, they seem to have pretty tight coverage all day, made, contested almost every pass, you know, with a few exceptions. Ohio State rarely had a guy running wide open like Michigan did in Ohio State's secondary. What did you see that uh, bothered you about Ohio State's response to what Michigan was doing defensively? And did you think the play calling got a little bit timid as the game went on? Like you talked about the two field goals instead of going for a touchdown here. It's really easy in, in retrospect to say you should have gone for a touchdown there, you know, because it's the game. The game right. is usually decided by a lot closer score, but go ahead. So I would say, I think definitely they got timid in their play calling, especially in the second half. Um, I like it, it's, it, you flip a coin in the first half, right? Like points are hard to come by in this game. Yeah. So if I'm at there and like, okay, the first field goal, I'm probably going to kick that first field goal. The second one is going to be 50-50 on, do I decide to go for this or not? Um, should I go for it? Once you get in the second half and they're up 27 to 20 and you're like hey 
you know what? You had some opportunities to kind of lower. It was like fourth and two, close to the close to the fifty yard line. I thought we should probably go for it. Yeah. Um, I thought we got away from the run, but for some reason we did not try to run the ball as much in the second half. Now you could say Michigan did a good job of getting us into some second and longs where you're like, I don't want to run there. And then they were able to tee off and say, now nah, I don't want to be in third and long. But I thought we just definitely abandoned the run um, for in the second half a lot where we had success in the first half. Uh, and then we kept trying to go with the wide passing game in the first half. Uh, and Michigan were playing, they were playing a little off on that off the slot. So you you were kind of running little rub routes, doing some things where the corner was backing off and taking whoever came deep to him. They brought their guys up. Okay, well, you want to play rub game? I'm going to bring my guys up. And okay, so we can fight through all this. We can lock it. We can do all different things on how they want to play it. So you took the distance out. And so now you didn't have clear passing lanes. All those in routes were contested. Um, so they did a really good job of doing that. In the second half, I thought, okay, well, what are you going to do next? Like you, you had some success going wide, making them drop off, running seven cuts from the, from the slot guy, making the corner drop off, taking the hitches uh, at what you did well. But then they said, okay, we're going to take that away. And yeah. so we didn't have an answer to what they were doing on defense. Uh, no screen games. Uh, there was just things where you could try to take take of some of their aggressive plays and some of their aggressive nature they were trying to do on defense. We didn't really execute that um, and do it well. Uh, and so you left CJ kind of trying to figure out where you're going. Uh, and I thought they did a really good job of putting a safety over the top of Marvin and saying, you know what? We're not going to let him beat us. Uh, yeah. you know, except for the one play where they got a man-to-man and CJ recognized that. Uh, and outside of that, safety over top, we're not giving up big plays. Yeah. So can you nickel and dime us? And that was a question we had all season long. Notre Dame had the blueprint. Anytime Ohio State struggled, teams played too high and said, can you be methodical? Uh, and we weren't. Like, I thought CJ missed a couple throws. He had uh, Stover uh, on some throws where he threw high. Um, and you could have had some kept some downs going. Yeah. Uh, but we needed to have some stuff. Just take what the defense gave us. We We're, we're a shot team. Uh, and they took away the shots, and it looked like we didn't know what to do to kind of just say methodically move the ball down the field. Yeah. I thought there was a lot of hay to be made in the middle of the field. Absolutely. As the game went on, just, you know, trust your veteran quarterback to make those throws. Your veteran, you know, Emeka Egbuka, uh, like you said, Kate Stover. Kate Stover, man, he was – boy, he was inches away from having well, – The great play by the corner, that's, that's perfect DB drill, right? We tell yeah. you – Play the ball through the receiver's hands. Yeah. Like, don't look back. He didn't look back. Like, that was the first thing. Like, he normally receivers, defensive backs look like this, and you're watching the receiver do this. He just ran right through, saw him put his hands up, and then did the tap and knocked the ball. I'm like, that's textbook for a guy who hadn't played the position. Yeah. Uh, and 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 they constantly, coaching-wise, their DBs played, had a better body position than our DBs had Um consistently throughout the game they were putting themselves in positions to be able to knock passes down where we were put in our positions to run into the receivers and that's where i'm saying the communication yeah. of how do you play they were getting to the spot of where the ball was going to be as opposed to going to where that receiver was at that moment and picking up defensive pass interference plays and so those are things we definitely need to clean up going forward because you can't win games if you're going to give up 15 yard penalties every time you throw a shot down the field or worse just bust the coverage and, and give up 75 yard touchdown passes. We've we've got to clean those things up. And those things are fixable. I know folks don't want to hear that because you don't want to see that happen in the game. But those are correctable mistakes. You can help um, players understand body position wise how to play that, um, help them understand, hey, the ball's going to go up 42 yards. Like if it's a go route, 
it's going to go here. Your angle needs to be deeper, go here. You're going to meet where the ball is going to meet instead of getting in a trail position that they constantly found themselves in during that game. Yeah, because like I like to say, you know, Michigan scored 45, Ohio State scored 23, meaning the offense, when it had its shot, didn't take care of business. Nope. And it was the same way last year in their two losses last year. You can blame the defense because you should. They gave up a lot of points at both of those losses, but the offense didn't get above 27. And right. uh, this is an offense that's averaging in the 40s. I mean, it's, you know, when, you, when you've got the ball, go score, right? I mean, right. There, that's – so to lay all this at the feet of the defense is erroneous, in my opinion, because you didn't deliver your side of the, of the, of the goods either, correct? Correct. Yeah, I mean, and that's why we say football's a complimentary sport, right? Yeah. Offense, defense, they have to work in tandem, right? I've got to stop folks. You've got to score points. Um, even if you're kicking field goals, like yeah. at least if you're kicking a field goal and you, but you're moving, you're giving their defense some time to kind of like, hey, what happens if, if I'm not sound on defense, maybe this turns into a big play. Uh, but I, I doubt, yeah, I agree. Like the, the offense didn't score enough points. Defense definitely didn't do enough on stopping them in the second half. And now you have a recipe for, what we saw on Saturday and we've got to figure out how to get out of that. Like, how do you get out of that mindset of, Hey, I mean, we look good in the first half. Like they were pleased. Uh, and and then Michigan made some great adjustments and I was like, well, what do we do next? Like, how do you come back that? Like, are you going to just, it was so easy to take some of the like, Hey, coach <laughs> stove right here, turn six yard hits, take it, turn, go. That's six yards. Yeah. Now we're, now we're second and four. Uh, you know, that's, that's easy to manage as opposed to third and 10. Like you don't always have to take the shot or take the four cut. Um, you know, to kind of be like, hey, let me get 15, 13 here. You know, it was just a lot of things that we we could have done that we should have done on, on offense to stay in rhythm, to keep moving the ball. Um, and I think that'll be a conversation they have in the offense. Let's stay on rhythm. And I think they move the ball up tempo. I think they should definitely incorporate a little bit more up tempo into their into their scheme and how they want to operate and attack teams. Because if you don't let certain defensive groups get on the field, you can get the mismatches you want, uh, and I think when they did when they went up tempo, they did a, a little better job of moving the ball in the first half, going with the up tempo pace. So let's let's see what happens. I mean, fingers crossed they figure it out, um, or else you're looking at some changes come next year um, in the coaching. I I think you, there will be a question of do we make changes. I'm not gonna wish for it because yeah, you know I you know I, I like what they do on offense, but definitely we've got some things to fix on defense as well. Yeah, I was gonna say two straight years, man. It sticks with you as a player, I'm sure, and with all the fans, it sticks with you. But it was two straight years of sort of the same result. Right. And uh, and even though you changed a lot of things offensively and defensively, new offensive staff, except for Larry Johnson, uh, new offensive line coach, uh, the result when the result is the same, and I'm not laying this on Justin Fry, don't get me wrong, but when the result is the same, you have fallen behind the train. You know what I mean? And right, right. uh uh, there's something to be said for that. And they fought all year to be that physical team, to be that get-after-you defensive-style team. For the most part, I thought they were. But, man, in the game that really mattered, the game that everybody remembers, the game that 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 vaults uh, you to where you really want to go, which is Big Ten Championship and a college football playoff berth, failed miserably. I mean, two years in a row. And there's no other – there's no way of sugarcoating that, is there? No. No, I mean, you have to say what it is. Like, you – got manhandled um, in the second half um, in a game where you said you wanted to be the aggressor. You wanted to have the more um, physical team. They came out in the second half and said, okay, you, you held us to 10 yards on 11 carries in the first half. 
Okay, let's see how you do with this. Uh, and they just dominated you. So yeah, you're going to go back to the drawing board. You, you, you know, I always like to say it's it's not like Chicken Little. Um, the sky is not falling, but you have to kind of say, okay, what do we need to do to get over this hump? Because if not, this, this is the nature of the business. The business is you can't have three losses in a row or else there will be changes. Like that's just, that's why you go play at Ohio State. That's why you go coach at Ohio State. There's a higher standard that comes along with that. Uh, and there's a, a level of expectation, both from the fans and from the brass that make the decision on who stays and who goes. So you're going to have to figure that out. Uh, but you take the lumps, you know, you you learn from it uh, and you kind of say, OK, what can we do better? How can we be better as coaches? Um, right. Because it starts with the coaching staff. Right. Coaches have to create schemes and game plans that will match the strengths that they have of the players on their on their roster now. So you have to create a scheme that your players can handle and put them in great positions. And then players have to execute. Uh, and so if you don't have the right players back there, then you got to go recruit the right players that can execute that. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Um, and if there's any um, changes going forward, um, you know, we'll be waiting to see and then get ready for the bowl game. I mean, yeah. that'll be something you can see that that'll give you good momentum going into the, the next, the new year, just kind of like, Hey, we've got to change it around, show that we're not the defense that played uh, in that game. And then you can get some good momentum going forward and then see what happens going forward next year. Ladies and gentlemen, Marlon Kerner, former Ohio State cornerback, former NFL cornerback. And you played safety too a little bit, didn't you? I'm trying to remember. A little bit. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Marlon Kerner, thank you again for joining the Tim May podcast, man. Uh, I think the first time we did this last year was kind of the similar time frame. And I have had you on, you know, to explain uh, what goes on, what what you can fix, et cetera, because most people are out there just having simple cures. There are no simple cures, but there are some things you can fix fundamentally uh, that can 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 make the big difference. And Marlon Kerner, and now that you've dug out of that ridiculous snowstorm you were in a couple of weeks ago, uh, thank you very much for coming on the Tim A. Podcast again, my man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Well, I want to thank Marlon Kerner, man. He he gets into the depth of it, man. I mean, he he notices the little things. That's what That's what made him a – a longtime NFL player and and a star at Ohio State. And, uh, you know, he knows the anguish of getting beat by Michigan. Uh, as he pointed out, he was one, two, and one as a player there in the in the first half of the uh, of, of the 90s. Uh, but they did beat be Michigan. But that also points out the fact that uh, this streak that Ohio State's been on uh, in the Michigan, had been on in the Michigan game, was really almost whacked when you think about it. It was just a matter of the other team getting its – act back together and that has been joined and with that in mind let's get to my conversation uh with matt wilhelm where we talk about a lot of that stuff too but also about in the end the fact that ohio state after it gets his it gets his head back up could still be looking at being in the college football playoffs that's crazy to think right now i know but it's definitely a possibility Hey, uh, Matt Wilhelm, welcome back to the Tim May Podcast, man. You wanted to chime in on what you saw on Saturday, and uh, no better time to chime in than the week after. And uh, just your – I had Marlon Kerner on talking about things. I wanted to get your take, just just your general take without knowing what somebody else said about the defensive play on Saturday. Let's look at defense first. What was just your general impression as you walked away from that one? Sure. I think – I mean, it's a uh, it's a tale of two halves. Uh, you know, and I think that the coaches have probably said that uh, soon after the game, the, the players probably have those same feelings. And, uh, and I think when you can minimize 
what a team is so strong at for 30 minutes of football. And then immediately thereafter, they maximize. They don't change who they are. They maybe change a blocking scheme. They maybe change, uh, you know, how they're going to block you based around how you've played them so far uh, in a first half. And I think, uh, and again, it's, it's tough to see uh, that many big plays. And I just want to, I, I just think it's, it's as if one team went in and made a bunch of adjustments at halftime. And then one other team said, we're satisfied with where we're at. We don't need to change a thing. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. we saw that all play out. Uh, and it wasn't uh, really any one guy. Uh, it was just, I think it was, I, I truthfully think it was scheme. And I think going back to our, our prep for this football game, I talked about, you know, on the radio, I talked about it with you. I said, how is Jim Knowles going to, when they bring out 22 personnel, 13 personnel, which they did a lot. Yeah. Um, and they actually play action off of it to get behind us, you know, yeah. after they had success with the run. Uh, we saw that play out. But how is Jim Knowles going to combat, you know, that massive amount of beef, we'll call it, you know, with that big offensive line. And then you add in those tight ends, uh, two and or three of them, and they want to run behind it. How are we when our defense is predicated around three is the first number in what you call our defense, that three, three, five, right? Um, well, four, two, five, four, two, five is what, he's call, what he calls it, but you got that floating defensive end, which makes it a three, correct. three, five, a lot. Correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like, yeah, yeah, correct. Four, two, five. But so how are we going to combat? And, you know, did we add, we added a backer, you know, and, and Simon made a couple plays here and there, but it just, it wasn't good enough. And I think uh, lastly, I'll say, I mean, against the run, it was not good enough, but then also, on, on every big play, whether we were able to cover downfield or not, uh, J.J. McCarthy had a lot of time. Yeah, It was guard center guard blocking our two defensive tackles and their tackles and tight ends handling Jack Sawyer and Harrison and Tomolowau, you know, on the edges. And McCarthy would just step up. Uh, again, he wasn't accurate. 12 of 24. Yeah. 12 of 24, uh, you know, but for 263 yards and two touchdowns. And a 75 yard touchdown. And so 160 yards of a 263 came on two plays. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, And I just thought, you know, and I think in some cases uh, just to flip the script for a hot second and move over to offense, I think JJ McCarthy's athleticism is a little bit of what Buckeyes have wanted to see out of CJ Stroud the whole season. Don't turn into, we don't need you to be Justin Fields, but we need you when the opportunity arises, whether it's in the zone read, and they're playing 100% give because all we do is do is the give to Hayden, uh, to Trainum, to Henderson, to Williams. C.J. Stroud never keeps it uh, and never takes off and runs and want to keep his eyes down the field. And I know that a football will travel through the air to an elite wide receiver faster than you can run there, C.J. But there's opportunities where getting six and being in second, and we talked about this weeks ago, and being in second and three and second and four, or third and two and third and three, as opposed to throwing an incompletion or forcing a football in situations that just behoove the offense to have those manageable down and distances uh, as the time went on. Hey, so, uh, immense frustra- frustration, embarrassment, uh, disappointment are, are three big, big key words that I feel as a former player uh, that I know have to be, you know, really resounding in that building right now. This, this is the second time, second year in a row. A lot of seconds here. Second time in a row, second year in a row, <laughs> that Ohio State has been in the game at halftime, and in the second half, you know, I don't know. Last year they just got outplayed, and I don't know if they, 
they got out coached too, at least offensively. Uh, Michigan's offense against Ohio State's defense, which was a mess last year. I, you know, Ohio State's defense didn't seem to be a mess this year. Uh, bottom line is, they got outscored uh, twenty-eight to three in the second half. Yeah, how do you how is that being out coached and outplayed? Is that being outplayed and a little bit out? No, it's a com- it's a combination of yeah. both. So everybody would want to point the finger at Ryan Day and this coaching staff, but uh, you scour the country for players to come to Ohio State who are the best at what they do. Uh, Mickey Marotti and that staff and those coaches coach these players and grind those players all year long, in some cases year after year after year, to get into a situation to and to step up and, and know exactly what you're going to get in the big moments, in the big games. That's again, talk leading up to the, to this game. And, and I, and I truthfully say, this is like, gosh, I love an Ohio state hype video as much as anybody does, but, and I love statistics to a certain extent, as much as anybody does, because it, it continues to brainwash me into thinking things have changed and we're better and we're this, but when it matters most, it was the same, yeah, the same result. You know, for the second year in a row, we got out coached. For the second year in a row, we got out physical. For the second year in a row, you could convey on paper that they were the tougher football team, right? Because yeah. it's it's a 60-minute football game. No matter. So that first scoring drive to go down the, and, get, and go up 7 nothing, that's great. It's almost like the Cleveland Browns. The Cleveland Browns until yesterday, I think, were 0-6 yeah. in football games this year when scoring on the first drive of a game. So you're great for the first five minutes, but everything after that is, is a nightmare. And I know that's not the case for Ohio State because we've won a lot of football games undefeated going into today. But when yeah. it matters most, I feel like we were not tough enough. We got out physical. We needed a player to make a play, and they didn't. Uh, and I think I, as a former player, am going to be deaf to statistics about how good we are, about what our ranking is, about uh, the recruits that we get and what they're doing in practice and what they're doing in games against Maryland and Rutgers and Minnesota and Northwestern and Indiana, that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. If you can't win this game, everything else is irrelevant. Uh, and I, I'll say this, and I know that, gosh, would I love to go to the college football playoff? And am I, am I again, rooting for Utah? I've already got a message out to Eric Weddle, great friend of mine from our time in San Diego with the Chargers, uh, a Utah Ute. Yeah, uh, we want them to beat USC so we can back our way into the college national championship. I had a, t- a chance to talk to another St. Ed's dad this morning, dropping off our boys at school, and I went, "Man, wouldn't it be lovely to back our way into the college football playoff? We beat Georgia, Michigan beats TCU, and we get redemption in a national championship game." Yeah, uh, yeah. and I one can only hope that in a matter of six weeks, things would be extremely different than they were just a couple of days ago to the result that we would have and the satisfaction that we would get by doing it on that stage and get the redemption of what's happened the last two times we've gone up against that team up North. You know, between the time I talked to Marlon Kern and the time I'm talking to you became, became apparent uh, a guy named Ross Fulton pointed this out on the internet, but uh, showed a play when Ohio state went, you know, had that first and 35 after the ridiculous headbutt. G. Scott did, and I think uh, Ryan Day jerked him out of the game for good. Terrible, uh, terrible decision, terrible decision, uh, selfish decision. And uh, uh, to me, and I'll say this, it shows me that that young man knows nothing about this rivalry. Yeah. And the reason why, because you've covered it how many years now, Tim? 30 yeah, years? 39. We'll call yeah. it 30. We'll call it 30. 
I've played in it four times. I've been, you know, now out for four. So I've been following it for, say, 30 years of my life, too, either as a recruit, as a player, or as a former player. And you don't understand the rivalry if you don't know that all the little things, that turnover, that bad fit on defense that turned into a touchdown, yeah. that penalty, that one. I mean, my gosh, Michigan's still, you know, beating up JT Barrett about he didn't get, the, you know, that, that inch that we got the first down by, you know, yeah. whatever it was. All those things matters, and this young man knows nothing about the rivalry. To be able to get an opportunity, make a big play just a few plays prior on that big pass play, on the play action, right? 20-yard gain, right? You could have been a a part of a narrative that was so positive, and then now all it is is negative because it's completely selfish of him in that moment. And it happened right in front of me. I was sitting on the 15-yard line right in front of me, you know, in in double-A. And and you look at the ramifications about how – the missed opportunities in the first half when we've got we're rolling, we get behind the sticks, and we end up having either having to punt it multiple times, kick a long field goal, and settle. And I, in my gut, knew we let a really, really good team that run that that wins football games a specific way. We kept them in the game. Yeah, yeah, and gave them life. Well, anyway, right after that, Ohio State is basically a fourth and five. Then again, an illegal procedure, <coughs> illegal snap call against the the center on a possible punt when uh, C.J. Stroud wanted to go for it. And then you watch a replay of the of the punt that followed. Remember, uh, Michigan's up 24-20 at that point, and it looks like Ohio State has called a fake punt, a possible run with uh, Mitch Rossi carrying the ball, except the snap goes to the punter, who uh, luckily catches the ball and gets the punt away before it gets blocked because they had let the, the right side had uh, – had collapsed, you know, from the standpoint of uh, look, Ohio State had a a fake run to the a, a fake punt run to the left, which was wide open. Does that change your thinking a little bit on how Ryan Day called this game? If you know what I'm saying, it at that moment he kind of did go for it, except the center wasn't in on the wasn't in on it for one reason or another. Mason, yeah, or- I mean, if, if, if I'll have to watch this myself. Yeah. And, and make my own judgment on it. And that's what you and I talked about, you know, uh, prior to this, this uh, connection. Yeah. And uh, I think it's, you know, it's all hands on deck for a game like this. Right. Yeah. And you, you love that you have gone through and practice and were prepared enough to have what you thought schematically was a, a punt fake that worked. Yeah. Uh, you hate to be in a situation where you have to use it, but we were. And, and I think this goes back to coaching. How did 10 players know what's going on and one player doesn't in the yeah. biggest game of our entire season? Yeah. And, and I think it's, uh, again, I'm not trying to place blame, but it's, it's on the players and the coaches. How was their miscommunication? Right. How was this not, this is not, this is not overemphasized. I mean, I've been, you know, most of my career, I was as much of my career in the, in the national football league was on special teams as it was playing linebacker. And so I was in those huddles and there was an excitement. Gosh, when you're in offense and you put in a, a new trick play or you're in defense, you put a new blitz. And when you're a special teams guy and you're trying to run a fake, yeah. I mean, adrenaline. I mean, I don't know, was it, was it a mental air? Did he just bust on it? Did he not get the signal uh, conveyed appropriately? Was the sideline, you know? Well, uh, wait a minute. Was, there's one thing, though. He may have thought it was off after they screwed up the, the first attempt at it, meaning, you know, the the uh, the illegal the illegal snap where he kind of moved the ball ahead of time. He may have thought maybe it was, you know, we'll never, we may never know the answer to this, if you know sure. what I'm saying. Yeah. But, uh, but it sure looks like his own, but like it goes back to exactly what you're just talking about. Getting out coached is comes down to like every individual 
not only knowing his assignment, but executing it, right? Yes. And it's, and it's disappointing. And, and I yeah. think, you know, there's so many different narratives. Uh, you know, people are calling for Ryan Day's, you know, job. And, uh, you know, there's rumor, you know, there, there's obviously you've got the Luke Fickle taking the Wisconsin job. There's a lot of, of things happening right now because of yeah. where we're at in the college football season. You know, what's at stake for them getting into the playoffs? ESPN has them at uh, 80, still has an 88% chance of making the college football national or a, a playoff yeah. the final four. There's just a lot of narratives. I think um, I'm a very black and white guy. It wasn't good enough. Um, I sat there. Uh, I mean, my gosh, after Jay, uh, CJ Stroud threw the interception, I got up with my son and left. You know, we're already – and then I heard that last touchdown, you know, the garbage time touchdown, which was another big play, yeah. you know, happen as I was exiting Ohio Stadium. And I think it's unfortunate. And I think uh, Ryan Day and his staff, along with the personnel, meaning the players um, – if they're thinking and talking about this and practicing for this 365 days a year, that needs to be amplified. What, whatever that is and however you accomplish that mission, I don't know. I'm sure if I was, again, paid $7 million a year, I'd come up with how we emphasize that game and the game planning and the preparation for it 365 days a year. Um, maybe a little bit different than him. And I'm sure I know Maurice Claret wants to throw his hat in to be the head football coach. So he'd do it a little bit different too. Uh, yeah. But the something's missing. Um, and I think if I were Ryan day and I'm being judged based around not my big 10 winning record or my overall record at Ohio state, but my record against Michigan, which is now a losing record. Um, I would go back and watch Jim Trestle win football games against that team up North. I would go watch urban Meyer go win football games. That, and I would look at the people in that game. Aren't they're They're, they're rugged, tough, run the football, you know, yes, eventually the basketball on grass becomes a thing, but it was, it wasn't country club atmosphere of the goody two shoe basketball on grass, which is what scared me all week long of this team up at that team up North is, is taking on the personality of their head football coach. And I think, and so is ours and look at the result the last two years. Wow. All right. Last quick, quick, quick thing. I know you got to go. Ohio State lost one game this year, lost it uh, emphatically. But would you still root for Ohio State if it gets in the college football playoff? I mean, not root for them. I know you'll root for them. But does it still have a resume, you think, that if things fall right this weekend, they deserve a shot in the college football playoff? I think they, I think they do. And I think a lot. Uh, it, it's not just with, with no bias. I think because uh, you look at – and Ryan Day talked about it after the game. You look at the way that we played with – you know, the number two team in the country now in Michigan uh, for two and a half quarters. Uh, you And I know we can't take them away, but you yeah. take into account multiple big plays, which are, you know, single play breakdowns three different yeah. times, right? Yes. Uh, and you extrapolate those and you look at the other, the, the remainder of the body of work and you go, they can play with this football team. Yeah. Um, who's the number two team in the country. Then you look at the unfortunate, you know, the loss by Clemson, you look at the loss by LSU uh, you know, LSU does their thing against Notre Dame, but sets up, you know, the, uh, the, the Pac-12 championship versus a team they've already lost to, yeah. and a team that we know very well in Utah, which is why we have a, you know, rooting influence. I, I, I do think that um, six times out of 10, we can beat Michigan. I do think six times out of 10, we can, well, eight times out of 10, we can beat TCU. And I think 50-50 with Georgia. Uh, so it's a crapshoot. It's a roll of the dice. And I think when given that opportunity, with uh, all, I mean, pardon my French, with his balls and a little bit of a vice, yeah. you know, Ryan Day 
yeah. is going to approach backing his way into the college football playoff and his preparation and his execution of a game plan and having those players ready will be significantly different than it was the last two times against Michigan in the biggest games we played this last, these last two years. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. That's Matt Wilhelm. You know, as much as you want to look back and just uh, anguish, you always got to be looking forward when you're in major college football. And sometimes you got to put the past in your in in your past really quickly, but make sure you learn from it. Matt Wilhelm, once again, thanks for joining the Tim May Podcast, my man. Thank you, Tim. Always a pleasure. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com on3 and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text Next Step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text Hope NY in New York.